and welcome to another thrilling class uh, in the bunker uh, on this uh, Sunday afternoon uh, is when we're rec uh, recording this and then uh, whenever uh, you might be looking at this as well. Uh, again, we just continue to uh, have, have fun with everybody coming in from all over the place. I think last, last week we had seven or eight states uh, represented. So as always, we just always ask, let us know where you're coming from. It's kind of fun to see each other uh, as we go through this process. Um, also, I, I was able to notice that on the YouTube uh, channel that uh, a number of people are also watching there, which gives you a good chance to maybe share it uh, with somebody else. So uh, welcome to Class in the Bunker. And uh, for those of you who might be new to this process, we are also looking uh, very seriously at the covenants and promises of, of the Lord and what that means in a variety of areas. And this will be kind of a fun one. Now, <coughs> as we get started then, um, I, I found that uh, last week, or a couple of weeks ago actually, we talked about uh, the power of forgiveness and how important that was in our own mental health. But I find it interesting how many of you then commented that it, to, to try and, and take that same power of forgiveness and turn it to ourselves. Uh, and so I, I went, really wanted to take a look at that uh, whole process. Um, if you listen closely, there's our siren that happens every, every Sunday while we're recording. This is great. Um, okay, so just a reminder about, our, about something here. When we take a look at the idea of needing to forgive, uh, you know, I frequently am getting people that are asking, how do I know that I've forgiven and I don't know that I've forgiven? Have I forgiven enough? And who should I forgive? And, and all of that. And, and we always have as our standard, obviously, that we know that we have forgiven when we are at peace. That, that peace and calm about those painful moments in our life that have occurred and maybe the people that have hurt us or done things uh, has subsided and we are basically at peace. If we're not at peace, what that tells me very quickly is we haven't yet forgiven. You say, well, I'm supposed to forgive. I know, but you're not at peace, so it hasn't happened. The sticking point on this is always, uh, as we've talked about before, is the fact that we have to always keep in mind that grief uh, has to run its course, that if we are humans that feel pain and feel hurt, we have to be able to experience the sense of loss and and be able to go through that. Uh, if we short change that, it makes it impossible to forgive because forgiveness is actually the last stage of grief. We're going to do all the grieving that we do and then that very last piece is going to be about forgiveness uh, and being able to finally let go of that and be at peace. Uh, also, we talked about the fact that this process of grieving to forgiveness is not a light switch that we turn on and off. It's one of those things that flows back and forth and maybe some days we're forgiving more and some days we're grieving more and we will move back and forth and then at moments we'll have peace and then the peace kind of uh, backs off a little bit while we're grieving some more and, and while we're going through this process. So that that's those things that, that we need to know. The now the problem here is, and what we're going to be really trying to take a look at today in conjunction with 
why we're studying covenants and the promises of the Savior to us is that as almost all of you know sometimes the very last person we're going to forgive will be ourselves. we've done a good job about learning to love and forgive others but to ourselves we end up holding on to our own uh, grudges and grievances against ourselves, and we continue to beat ourselves up endlessly and keep it in mind those things that we have done and it just is like this little hot poker that, that says so you're not allowed to be really be happy or you're not allowed to really feel worthy or you're not allowed to be able to go on with your life because you still haven't forgiven yourself and if you are allowing yourself to be happy then you just haven't paid the price yet as we're, as we're going to talk about in a sec that's probably the biggest problem with uh, forgiveness is how or self-forgiveness is how we see all of this now in order to kind of see where I think the major problem lies and why it's uh, why it's hard for us to be able to let go of grudges against ourself sins against ourself or 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 the things that we have done we have to kind of go way back a little bit and and so bear with me that there's a story that we know sort of well uh even though part of this is blocked uh, from our memory if we go back to the the that pre-existent council, you remember that? Remember being there? Uh, okay, maybe not so much. Uh, but by scripture and by understanding, by teaching, we know that there was a pre-existent council, and the, and we know that in that pre-existent setting, that our loving heavenly parents helped devise a plan of happiness that would result in us being able to get free agency to have the experiences that we needed to have so that we could return and live with them. Like every other set of parents, our heavenly parents were trying to save their family and tried to give them the tools to be able to live comfortably with them in the eternities. Now, as they rolled out that plan, Part of that meant then we're going to be able to send you down into mortality and, and go through the rough and tumble of, of, what that's, of, of what that's going to look like. Now, in order to then give us, teach us how to love and how to become like them, uh, our, our heavenly parents gave to their, morta- their, their posterity laws and commandments which would train them and teach them how to love and ultimately for us to become like them and be able to return to live in their presence and with them partake of eternal life. Okay? And those laws and commandments teaching us and guiding us about how to love was the way to do that. Now, if, if everything about our, our heavenly parents was about how to draw us closer to them and to be with them and to be one with them then certainly everything about Lucifer would be just the opposite because Lucifer as soon as this plan was put into place uh, Lucifer put together what I call the Satan separation plan how do I separate these children of God from God 
how do I move them away? Because I'm going to separate them out. Therefore, they will be mine. I can wrap them with chains and they will be mine for eternity. But first of all, I've got to separate them from God. And look at how he does this. And, and, and you have to admit, it's kind of a pretty ingenious uh, guiling plan that he, he puts into to place. Here's how this works. First of all, he's going to beguile, meaning I'm going to tempt you to do things you shouldn't do so that you will transgress these laws and commandments that are taught you how to love. So I'm going to separate you from love as well. So I'm going to beguile you into do that. Now, let's keep in mind uh, that in this beguiling that he does, uh, when that transgression happens, he then is going to then accuse them of breaking the commandment that he talked them into doing in the first place. I've said on a number of occasions that I believe that Satan uh, in the big picture did not lie. He didn't want them to, <coughs> where he said, uh, you're not going to die. He didn't want them to die. He wanted them to eat of the tree of life, the second course. Eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil, then eat the tree of life, and then live forever in your sins. Satan didn't want men and women to die. But here's where his deception comes. Uh, in Hebrew, the term uh, Satan really means accuser, the accuser. And he's going to make two accusations. First of all, he's going to make an accusation against God. Because he's going to intimate subtly, snake-like, to Eve. This, this plan of eating this fruit is, is how God gained knowledge and understanding. And he really doesn't want you to have it. It was the secret plan they weren't giving you. So, in, 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 which is just amazing because the very purpose that uh, our heavenly parents put us on earth was so that we would become like them. And Satan's going, nah, they don't really want you to be like them. And in fact, they're going to be kind of shocked that I'm giving you the secret stuff uh, that'll allow you to be like them. They're going to be upset. They just don't want you to know that. Just a little subtle dig here. Um, now, on top of that then, he's going to then uh, accuse them of doing what? You, you transgressed a law. I told you to do it, but you transgressed the law. Then what, do they, then what does he do? For the first time in Earth's history, he's then going to introduce shame into the world as they transgress a law that Lucifer talked him into doing. Amazing. And so he's going to say to them, oh, by the way, yeah, you did, you did break a law, but now you're naked. Yikes. Father's going to see it. You know, hide. Quick. Go away. Hide yourself. And, and so you're supposed to be in shame. You're supposed to be feeling shame when you have transgressed, even though I'm the one shaming you. Satan as the accuser, Satan as the shamer, is the author of shame. 
if the Savior and the Godhood is the authorship of joy, Satan is the author of shame, and he's the one that shame, and God does not shame. And, and that's where we're going to get to in just a second, where shame comes from. In this case, he's going to introduce shame to them. You need to hide. And by the way, fix the problem. You're, you are, um, you're naked. Make some fig leaves. Put, put that on there and, and just kind of try and fix the problem yourself and kind of hide while, while you do it. Uh, and so they're going to then, he accuses, they introduce shame, they then hide. Um, and and in, in the hiding, what they're going to do, remember that the heavenly plan was designed to draw children closer to those parents so that we can be one. Father, help them be one with me as I am with thee. The, the plan of happiness is, is a family plan. It's, it's bring us close together. The shame plan, Satan's separating shame plan, was to separate you out from God. Put distance. Hide. Hide away. And, and, and put yourself in a place where you don't have to feel that shame, though you will, uh, because you now feel the... The separation from God, which is was a very painful thing. And while living in hiding, live with fear and trembling while I buffet you with shame, while I beat you up, um, while, while I run you through the dregs of hell while you're in hiding. And that while I, but I sponsored you separating yourself from God. So, so ultimately, what we get there is that our, under this setting, for Adam and Eve as well as for the rest of us, their identity, their worth for that period of time while they were separated out, their worth was tied up in their past, in their past actions. That they had to feel shame and upset about what they had done, and they begin to self-identify as rule breakers, as uh, promise breakers, uh, and their past identified them as to who they were. And that's what happens while we are in hiding, if you will. Now, I find it interesting then that in this uh, pre-mortal drama here, in the garden, as it plays out, Notice what then happens after the transgression. Lucifer is stepping in to shame and sponsor hiding and beginning to clothe them in their past. At the same time, Jesus is calling after them. Where are you? Where did you go? I'm looking for you. I, I will seek you out and try to find you. Where are you? You ever find it interesting? I, I just came out of a, uh, uh, this morning, out of a ward council meeting. And, and one of those standard things that go on a ward council meeting is we have our new move-ins and those that have moved out. Now, it's not unusual when we have somebody who has moved 
into the ward. And sometimes we find out as we reach out to them, hey, welcome to the ward. How long you been here? Uh, months, uh, year. Well, we're just finding you. And they'll say, yeah, in essence, the, his, what they'll say is, I didn't want to be found. <laughs> I'm, I'm hiding from my parents. I'm fi- hiding from the church. I'm not proud of what I'm doing. Uh, I am in hiding. I didn't tell you guys you were here. So how did you find me? Well, your dad called the bishop and the bishop, is, you know, we got the, your dad sought you out. Wow, this church is always trying to track me down and find me. Yeah, it's what we do. We're, we're following the Savior injunction to go find you. Now, if you want to stay hidden at the moment, you have the agency to do that. You can stay hiding as long as you choose to. But we have the injunction to at least follow the Savior's guidance to say, where are you? We're looking for you. And when you're ready to come out of hiding, we're ready to embrace you and bring you back into our presence. Now, so Jesus is going to, he calls after them, and then notice what he does in response to transgression. More shaming, more beat him up, like I told you not to do that, what were you thinking? Not that we would ever like do that to our kids or to our teens or something. What were you thinking? Uh, What do you thought would happen? I can't believe you did it. I told you, I told you, and you did it anyway. Uh, Do I have to remind you how dumb you are? And what were you thinking? Well, I wasn't thinking, Dad. Well, of course, that's true. And then we shame away. Okay. Side note. Notice what Savior does with transgression. Any shame? No. He meets transgression with what? Covenants and promises. Here's what we're going to do for them. We will clothe them right in coats of skins. We're going to execute a plan that we, that we put together in the pre-existence that the result of which will bring them back into our presence. We're going to tell them and teach them about the promises and covenants that, that are uh, pre-existent in nature that ultimately enable us to uh, learn from transgression, as we'll talk about in a sec, and move us forward and shift from we are about our past to we are about our future. And, and that's going to be the difference between, uh, as we were talking about this. That's what a covenant and promise does. Now, I think it's a really good example of this. It actually comes out of uh, the book of John. You remember that as the uh, in in John, and we talked about this like in February, I think, um, that that the Sanhedrin at the time of Jesus was trying desperately to trap him and trap him between the people and the law of Moses and what he was teaching and what he was bringing to the table. And so we're going to trap him. And here's what they did. They went out and they hired a prostitute and had, so that they could know where she was and what was going on at the time. And then they wait. And when Jesus comes into the temple precinct and, and, and up on top there in the temple, now they quickly go and grab this woman and drag her forward and bring her into the temple precinct so that they can then embarrass her 
and the Savior in front of them. Now, here's what they did then. Uh, the, the question is going to be, what should we do with her? There she is. And, and, and the trap is if he says, well, let her go, well, that's going to go contrary to the law of Moses. And if he says, well, she should be stoned, well, that goes contrary to everything that you've been teaching. So then, remember, he doodles in the dirt. Uh, we've always wondered what it is that he wrote. Well, I think a lot of scholars, including uh, my own little amateur scholarness, uh, looks at this and says, I think we can figure out what it is that he's writing in the dirt. I think in the dirt he's writing, the law says she should be stoned. Because, but then he looks at them and says, and those of you who are without sin cast the first stone. You that hired the prostitute in the first place and sinned in doing that, you go ahead and cast that first stone against the woman you hired. And of course, remember, they head off. Um, just such a great story. Now, it says that Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are your accusers? Where are the people... Uh, the King James Version calls them accusers. The, the, the uh, most Greek versions make this word into uh, those that would condemn her. Where are your condemners? Not just accusing, but condemning. They passed a sentence. Has no one condemned you? Where are those that would condemn you? And you remember, and, and you, you have to imagine the, the look of relief on her face when she says, um, no one, Lord, there's no one here accusing or condemning me. And then he says, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. He's meeting transgression and sin with a plan and with a promise and with a covenant not with shame and guilt and punishment and uh, and that's actually the way that as we're going to discover that God always handles transgression with a covenant the idea of partaking of the sacrament is when we uh, when we go on Sunday and and we're partaking of the sacrament with a broken heart and a contrite spirit he says I will give you a promise if you're gonna do this I will give you my spirit to be with you and that will lift you and guide you I'm not gonna give you sit here with a lecture and beat you up I'm not my I, I don't shame the other guy does so the other thing that he does, that, so his desire mainly is to draw all men and women unto me. He says, I will be raised up on the cross so that I can draw people to me, especially those that are struggling with transgression and pain. Our desire is that we just want peace and we want to be able to feel what we feel when we return home. So in this case, our worth and who we are 
Israel is tied to our future as joint heirs with Christ. When we're dipping in shame and, and lack of self-forgiveness, we are looking to the past and we're being clothed by our past actions and defined by that and identified by that. And the Savior says, I need you to turn and look at me. Think about Peter walking on the water. Don't look down. Look at me. And the promise that you can do something you didn't know that you could do as a joint heir with me. We're going to walk back to the boat together as joint heirs. We can do anything if I'm one of the partners with you. And you stop looking down in shame. Now, what was Adam's response then to all of this? As he's taught uh, and reminded in this lone and dreary world about what he's going through. He says, Blessed be the name of God because of my transgression. Yeah, it's there. Because of my transgression, my eyes are opened and in this life I shall have joy. And again, in the flesh, I shall see God. It's not about my transgression. It's not about my past. It's about my glorious future and, and what I have in store for me in the long run. So he's able to reframe that transgression and say, I get it, but because of my transgression, I've learned to recognize the bitter and prize the sweet, is the way Eve will actually frame it. So, let me give you one more example of this where I think you, you watch somebody make the turn and stop looking at their past and suddenly focus on their future and on the covenants and promises that are available to them. And we have it in Alma 36. Recall this is after Alma the Younger is visited by the angel. He says, stop trying to mess with my church. And then he goes through all the pain. And he says, and now for three, three days and three nights I was wrecked, even with the pains of a damned soul. This is called the, the we, we can say this differently and say, I was wrecked even with the buffetings of Satan. It's not the, it's not the buffetings of Jehovah. It's the buffetings of Satan. Buffeting, I looked up the Greek word, it means punch. I got beat, I got beat up with a punch. And he says, I was, I was racked with the, with the buffetings, the pains of a damned soul. Uh, and it came to pass, I was racked, I was beat up with torment. I was harrowed up by what? By the memory of my past sins. Those past sins are the ones that are beating me up. And Satan is leading the shame charge to make sure that I feel every bit of that. But he says, in the middle of that, I also remember to have heard my father prophesy concerning the coming of one Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to atone for the sins of the world. Now, what does he do? Now, as my mind caught hold upon this thought, I cried within my heart. So I want you to picture this for a minute. I'm racked with pains of a damned soul. I'm being buffeted. I'm looking at my sins. I can't believe the things that I, I, I stole people's souls. I did all these horrible things. So, 
But I seem to remember that there was a Jesus. And he turns. And this is his turning moment. I cried within my heart, O Jesus, thou Son of God, had mercy upon, upon me. I'm in the gall of bitterness. I'm... Uh, and am encircled about by the everlasting chains of death, and I would add, of hell. That's what Satan does. Satan is the author of shame. And he uses that to buffet us. And then what happens? And now, behold, when I thought this, I could remember my pains no more. Why? Because he, he changed who he was looking at. He changed. Instead of looking at his past sins, he, he recognized that there was promise and somebody who would help the pains and the actions of his past to be left behind and to transform him into somebody who would become who Alma the Younger really was and his lifetime of service. Yea, and I was harrowed up by the memory of my sins no more. I no longer was drowning in shame and pain I could remember my sins no more now he will go on that power to then transform his life and become the great prophet that he did so what's the problem then with uh, with shame one of the things it freezes us into inaction we just when we're hiding we just freeze and we don't move and we, we kind of hunker down inside our shameness. The other problem with shame is that it relies an awful lot on, on the law and order Protestantism of the Middle Ages that put an emphasis on uh, punishing the sinner. And... and creating the idea that man didn't deserve anything and so God's righteousness was impugned into us because we never could hold righteousness ourselves. Also, it denies, when we are filled with shame, we are ignoring and misunderstanding the promises that Jesus has already provided for us. I want you one with me. I want to give you peace, not the way the world does, but with my peace. Now, the, the problem that I, I always struggle with kind of on a daily pay, basis with people is, is this one. I find that shame distorts and haunts and dogs daily decision making. People make decisions based on the, shy, the shame and the unworthiness that they feel, and they choose lesser. They make lesser decisions. It affects sometimes who they date and who they marry and who they have relationships with. It affects what jobs they think they're worthy of. It affects what they may do or not do in the church. It affects whether or not they think they should be praying. Uh, it affects so many decisions because they have identified themselves as shameful in so many ways. So, here's the question. How do we use our knowledge of covenants to decrease shame and grow hope in ourselves and in others?
And that's what I, I, I want to begin to kind of wrap up with here. Isn't it interesting when you take a look, the beauty of the Gospels is that we get a chance to see Jesus interacting over and over and over with people living in shame. Whether it's something by leprosy or blindness, but oftentimes it was about uh, adultery and sin, and he treated each one of those people with kindness and with promise. Follow me. Become like me. And I will make you fishers of men. The Gospels are filled with the Savior dealing with shamed people who then were able to stand up and walk and no longer have to be uh, uh, harrowed about by, uh, by past sins and past behavior. Uh, now, one of the things that I learned in graduate school uh, in my own experience was as I took my, my turn kind of on crisis lines and get a call at 3 o'clock in the morning from somebody who's struggling in suicide, and suicidal is that we learned very quickly that the idea that we needed to instill hope. And sometimes that hope was simply you have a doctor's appointment tomorrow at 10. You just need to make it through the night and make it to that doctor's appointment. Lay, laying out some idea that there was hope that would get them past what, what I call the hopeless, helpless box of suicidal thoughts and dark thoughts and depressive thoughts. Get past that with some kind of hope, that, uh, that possibility that things might get better is the idea. So, um, this is a really a good quote here. I'm going to hop past this one. So, I want to close today by asking a simple question. As you look at your life and as you deal with others in, in our ministering, in our family, in our marriages, which way are we facing? Which way are we facing? Which way are they facing? If we are facing our past and our actions of the past, and our pain of the past, and we're facing and constantly looking at the worst moments of our life. We open the door for Satan to shame and beat us up and buffet us, punch us, and keep us there. At the same time, if we, if we simply turn and we look forward, and we're able to look and be able to move ahead, and see the glorious promises that the Savior has planned for us. We can remember our sins no more, and we'll move forward. Brothers and sisters, I bear you my testimony that God does not shame, that God covenants, God promises, and He wants us home. He's provided a Savior for us that will bring us home. And we need to rely on His promises. And in the next couple of weeks, as we take a look at those promises given to 
Adam and Eve and to Abraham and and then some Book of Mormon promises as well you watch people turning from their past and look at their future and suddenly shame is way in the rearview mirror. I pray that we can do that as we move forward this week and I leave those things with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.